I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. Plush care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's the National League Podcast. Um, hello, my name's Matt and this is a bit of a first for me. I haven't been on this podcast before, so hello. Uh, I'm joined with Luke and Aaron today. Um, hello, lads. It's good hey, to have Matt. a new space with us, isn't it, Luke? Yeah, it always is. We, we like to freshen it up on this podcast, to be fair, Matt. It's good to uh, have you on the podcast, of course. Uh, you'll be happy to be out of this league now, but you still got that attachment to it, I, I suppose. Oh, I have, yeah. So... <clears throat> For anyone who doesn't know, I'm a Notts County fan, um, so I'm not in the National League anymore, but after four years' experience, I like to think I, I know a thing or two. Um, but yeah, it's, it's nice to be in the EFL, lads, I won't lie, but I'm sure you too. You'll be there soon, you'll be there soon. I'll never ever, I'll never ever forgive you, Matt. I know you are responsible, but that Boxing Day game uh, um, at the at the lane last year, Joe Nuttall scored early doors to make it 1-1. I'm thinking, we're in here, we're in. We found our thing. And I, did it end 5-1, 4-1, I think? I think it was 4-1, yeah. What, what a day. Straight know, after Christmas was... as well. Can you believe it? I know. You gave it back to us, though, when we came to your place, didn't you? New Year's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was a good game for us, actually, that. Nathan Sharon, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, so um, <laughs> we, we're going very conversational, aren't we, lads? And I think, Aaron, you wanted to start with the Oldham game. Yeah, so obviously, like, I I uh, was watching the Oldham game on Saturday or listening to the Oldham game. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge. No legal activities going on here. Um, and and for probably the first time under Mickey Mellon, like, or certainly since the Derby Day 4-3 against Rochdale, it's the first time I, I'd seen us, like, batter a team. You know what I mean? We could have easily won four or five nil. Like we had that many chances. Walking didn't really get out the first out of their own half the 75, 80 minutes of the game. And we just we we just we something that was really unusual for us is we overran uh, Walking's midfield and the amount of conversations I've had with Luke over the last few weeks about Oldham's midfield not being good enough. Well, let me tell you what the difference was on, on Saturday, and this is what I'm gonna bring up into conversation. For weeks and weeks, because of injuries to your Dan Wards, your Josh Lundstrom's and your Dan Gardner's, we've had to go with your sort of 
gritty sort of not nice footballers, if that makes sense. Mm. Like we've had to go with just the battlers in midfield, so we've not had that link between the attack and the midfield. But on Saturday, we were able to field both Josh Lundstrom and um, Dan Ward in midfield with Dan Gardner. I think that made the all important difference because that's what I was going to bring on to. I mean, he's got he's got probably weaker legs than me, if I'm being honest, Dan Gardner, but. When he plays, I mean, he plays probably one in every four games because of his fitness record. But when he plays, and this is my big contentious talking point, I think, in my personal opinion, probably Oldham glasses on a little bit. I think he's the best technical player in the National League. Or certainly the most un- underrated technical ability player in the National League. I, I just, but then we were we were having a discussion off, like, off uh, camera work we earlier today, Matt, about... Yeah. I don't know whether he gets the credit he deserves because his injury record is is so poor for him, unfortunately. So do we reckon that clouds people's judgment when we're talking about people's technique nowadays? What do we think about that, boys? I think yeah. just, sorry, just my, on, yeah. yeah, sorry, just just my take on um, Dan Gardner. Um, you know, he's got a lot of experience, he's been in the football league. I think a lot of people have always rated him, but obviously he's had he's had his injury problems, especially recently at Oldham. Um and of course, he's getting on now. He's not particularly old, but he's an older player at the age of 33-year-old. Um, and, you know, by that time, playing in the midfield, you know, you're not going to be the same player as what you are a number of years ago. And that's probably why he's playing in the National League now and he's not playing in yeah. the Football League. You know, he's a quality player, you know, good but, at getting stuck in, but also going forward for me. Um, genuinely, and again... People can call me biased. I don't really care, to be honest. But genuinely, I feel like I feel like if it wasn't for his injuries, he could quite comfortably play the the bottom half of League One. That's how good Dan Gardner is, in my opinion. Genuinely, and he, he's done it. I know he's always had problems with uh, injuries, but he's done it. He did it at Chesterfield when they won the League Two title. You know, all the all them years ago was it the fourteen fifteen season or something like that? I think. He, like did it the, he did it the first time around with us, so this is his second uh, second stint at Attics. He was he was phenomenal for us the first time around, and I just think we, there's certain players in there in, in teams that like when they play, they they impress, but for some reason, one reason or another, they don't play enough, mainly because of fitness or or like discipline issues or whatever it might be. And I think Dan Gardner is one of them. But you've got. The, sort of the wider uh, conversation, boys. Is there any names that stick out to you that are of players that are too under, like too underappreciated in this league? So when I say underappreciated, I'm not talking about your obvious choices like your Idris Kanu's, uh, your James Norwood, your Will Greg. I'm talking about the technical players that don't get enough credit. Can you think of any? Put me on the spot there. <laughs> I think, we, well, me and Aaron, we spoke about it briefly earlier, didn't we? And um, the only name that I could properly, like, under pressure think of was, and he's not in the National League anymore, but he's in the National League North, so I'd like to think it still kind of counts, is uh, Cal Roberts at Scunthorpe. Um, yeah. I think technically, I remember him and Notts County, he was absolutely fantastic. Like, his flair with the ball, his ability to take it round one man, two man, and then put it past the goalkeeper was absolutely unreal. And he could, he was one of them players who could turn nothing into something and it end with a goal because of his technical ability on the ball 
and because of his injuries, he's well, he's played at the Scottish Premiership and then with injuries has come back to the National League North, then got injured again, and now he's only coming back to fitness really now. But I think without injuries, he could be like a top League Two, probably like you said about uh, Dan Gardner, a lower League One sort of attacking threat and, and would do mm. that comfortably. What's um, his age? He's still quite young. I, I want to say he's about 25, but I will have a Google just to make sure. Um, but he, 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 he taught it apart, though, didn't he? At Notts, when he was at Notts, when he was fully fit, he taught it apart at Notts County. Oh. I remember against Halifax when you first came down. He, yeah. he actually made a difference in the playoffs as well. At the semi-final as well, I think. Or it might have even been against, it wasn't against Harrogate. It was in the semi-final. I remember him playing in that game and then the final as well. He, he did quite well. Uh, yeah, although you lost, and he's just one of those certain players are just very, very unfortunate with their injury record, and he's he's an example of that. And you know, when he is fully fit, he's he shouldn't be in National League North, he shouldn't be in the National League, and he probably shouldn't be in League Two. He's a, he's a League One standard player when he's you know fully fit. I personally feel. Yeah, no, he is. He's he's absolutely dynamite when he's fit. He's fantastic, and like you said, yeah, in the in the playoff final, he scored, I believe, to make it two one. Or equalised for us, one or the other. Uh, I know we still yeah. lost because the rest of the team decided not to show up that day. But that, that <laughs> is a that is a different story. Uh, but yeah, he scored a lovely free kick, I believe it was against Harrogate, and that's that kind of put us back into the game. Uh, but no, that would be the name I would throw into your question now, and that would be the name I'd throw into that. Yes, Luke. What about you? Come I mean, Mister Inside yeah. Leader of National League. <laughs> well, I think I think there's a number, you know. I think of my club as well, and of course, everyone will say it's easy just to think of players of your, of your own club that are, you may feel are underrated. But I think it's fair to to start with them defensively. The likes of Jamie Starr, Adam Senior, very underrated. Another place probably Luke Summerfield. He shouldn't be playing in this division. It's just a bit like Dan Garner, very similar. He's aging now. He's, he's actually a lot older at the age of thirty eight. Um, and of course, he's at, he's having his injury problems due due to his age as well. But he's a player that shouldn't shouldn't be at this level uh, a couple a couple of years ago. Um, I think you have to look at the likes of Gateshead and look at a few of their players. Greg Ollie's a, a player in the midfield. I don't think gets enough appreciation in this division for what he's actually done at Gateshead, not just this season, but in the number of years that he's been there. You know, someone that I'd die well, I'd love to have at Halifax. Um, I think if you if you look at every team, there's always one or two players, isn't there, that's really under underrated. Um, you know, Chesterfield, I'll have a few that probably don't get the credit because of the likes of, of Will Grigg, uh, Tom Naylor, that there'll be players there that probably deserve more credit than what they're getting. And probably an example of being someone like Jamie Grimes um in the midfield. He's been there for a while now. Um South End, you probably look at the likes of Jack Bridge doing well there, probably doesn't get the credit in the whole of the division as what maybe he should be doing. But I think it, most people will probably just look at the strikers and they're the ones who actually get appreciated. If you think about plays all over the pitch, not many centre-halves at this level, especially this season, um, are really getting the credit that, that they deserve and especially, you know, the more defensive side of players. So I think they're the players that you'd be looking at, to be fair, just on that note. Yeah. yeah I think and that's how we bring you in, Luke. That's why we bring you into these podcasts. Yeah. Um, no, but I just thought it was a nice little opener, and it, it, because I think there is with with the sort of like national league, especially in the last couple of years, it's easy to sort of think of you know the players that drop down and that are instantly going to be the sort of 
headline grabbers like your James Norwood, your Will Briggs, but then it's the players like uh, Dan Gardner and them type of players that kind of do quality, quality things, but don't get the appreciation. So I just wanted to put a, a bit at the start of this podcast to them players and say that we do we do recognise the work that you do week in, week out. And yeah, keep it up for Oldham's sake, of course, Dan, if you're listening. <laughs> oh, I like it. I like it a lot. Um, can we talk about the Dorking Wanderers Boring Wood game? Because Boring Wood have gone from near enough knocking Notts County out of the playoff semi finals um, to being sat two points out of the relegation zone. And I'd like, I don't really understand how that's happened. I'll, I'll be honest. I'll be honest. And this is going to be controversial. So please, any Boring Wood fans that are upset with this. There won't be any Boring Wood fans listening. Let's put it this <laughs> way. <laughs> Well, there you go. Go for go for Luke. If you're going to go for anyone in the Twitter in on Twitter, go for that statement. Don't go yeah, saved your bacon there, kind of, haven't I? You have your feet down now. But I'm not saying I could see it coming. But for me, Boreham Wood were very effective last year at doing a quite one-dimensional game plan. So, so I always I always had it in the back of my mind that as soon as people clocked on to how they want to play they were going to get caught out. And I think that's what's happened now. You know, they were very direct. They had the long throw, like, and and I think once you catch on to that and once you learn to defend that, easier said than done, I know. But I, I, I didn't think they was ever going to struggle to this extent, but I didn't think they were going to have a season like they had last year, to be fair. I think what, what I get from Ball and Wood, um, and you know, they've beat they've been in this division for a number of years. And and they, to be fair, although I basically just took the mick out of the, the support and you know, you, you've mentioned there how, how they've fallen off and they're quite one dimensional. To be fair to them, they have an overall a very, very successful football club who a lot of lower league football sides probably should be looking at as as an example and a, a bit of a role model as a club because like we said, they're getting gates of 700, 800, and yet they're in the National League. And maybe not this season, but overall, they've been, you know, looking and having the ambitions of, of getting into the Football League. Um, the way I see it, and I'd probably disagree with you there, Aaron, because Matt, as you'll be aware, since Bourne would have been in this division, they've played the same way. And every season it's been effective. And I think, yes, there's a talk, there's talk about them being founded out, but sometimes even if they're found out, it's still very hard to play against them because they're just an industrial football side. And but that's you, the point, though. It's, it's obviously not very hard to play against them this season, is it? No, well, but this is just coming on to my point now is the fact that how I look at ball and mud now is they're an ageing side. It's the same squad. They haven't added to the squad particularly. They haven't really let any players go. It's the same group that Luke Garrard relied on for a number of years. And there was always going to become a point when his time... The, the time of the squad was expiring. And at the moment, I think it is time for Bournemouth to, you know, kind of find this next group, this next um, group of youngsters or players that have got that ambition of getting into the Football League. Because you look at the average age now, it's one of the oldest squads in the division. And all over the pitch, the players don't actually have the ability and the legs anymore to, to be competing at the top. Because... There's all. It's every season, and it? it's quite repetitive for a side with Bournemouth's budget every season to be playoffs. That's what we expect. Playoffs. That's what we expect. One season, it's it's not going to work, is it? And, I, and that's just how I see it now. It, it gets me thinking, and no way am I, am I insinuating that this might happen. But last week we were talking about uh, not enough football clubs having credit in the bank for managers. 
Now, if Boronwood's slide continues, is uh, Gerard's job under any threat, do we think? I think they would be incredibly harsh to get rid of Luke Gerard, given the job he's done. I think it, I think it's it's a valid point to say that maybe the last few years they've overachieved as a team in terms of their standing at the end of the league, in terms of the performance that they've put out, in terms of the results they've got with the budget they have, with the, the you know like you've said they get getting maybe seven hundred, eight hundred at home, which isn't which isn't massive. It's not a massive club. And I mean, no offence by that, but Boreham isn't a very big club. And to say that they were one game away from Wembley and then two games away from, you know, playing in League Two is a massive jump for that club. And a completely fair play to them. They got there on merit and they got there yeah, deservedly. Absolutely. But yeah, like you said, I think they are, they, they've kind of gone with the saying that if it's not broken, don't fix it. And, and for the last few years, it hasn't been broken because it's worked. They've got the playoffs consistently. They've done well consistently, especially against the, the, the heavy-hitting teams. But now it isn't working. What do you do to fix that? Is it a managerial change? Which I don't think it is. I think it's possibly, like Luke has said, change. maybe a stylistic change and maybe a player change in terms of uh, some younger lads coming through. But then is it not a worry that they've been playing this style of football for so long that it'll take the... You know what you were saying, Luke? They've had the same group of players for a number of years now. It'll take that squad uh you would think a couple of months maybe to to get the head around a completely different new style of football is not well, is that not the bigger worry you know well I mean? for me that's why I, I wouldn't sack him because you can't bring a full squad in halfway through a season especially at Bournemouth so if you let Luke Garrard go someone's going to come in and it's going to be like Luke Garrard's players and they are particularly his players you know you can tell that they're it's players that he's got a very good relationship with. And yes, it's not going well this season. But for me, with Luke Garrard, I'd probably leave it till the end of the season because he's been loyal to stick with Bournemouth. It's all well known that a lot of football league sides and bigger national league sides have been looking at him in the past to appoint him as, as, the, as the manager. And he's stuck with Bournemouth. So I think Bournemouth, you know, do have that respect have to have that respect of, look, we're going to give you a chance till the end of the season. And honestly, if they, if they got to end of the season and they finished lower mid-table, you'd probably say, look, you've had an off-season, we're going to give you another chance. And I don't know, maybe Luke Garrett will think at the end of the season, look, my time's up now, it's clearly not worked this season. I'm going to pass it on to the next man now and I'm going to look for a new challenge. And, and that may be what, what will happen because he's still a young coach and, of course, they will still be football league sides looking at him, even if Bournemouth do finish in quite a poor position this season. Because overall, if you look at his CV uh, as a manager, he's been very successful at what he's done at Bournemouth. And yeah, that's that's just my take on it. I think if you're going to get rid of Luke Garrard, I'd leave it till the end of the season so a new manager can come in and, and bring his own players in. That's, that's how I'd say. Yeah. Can we just, obviously we don't need to do a big uh, dissection into it, but I just wanted to say I'm, I'm, I don't know why I ever doubt it, but I'm impressed by the job that Mark White is starting to do now at Dorking again this season because uh, early doors, I've got to be honest, I was a bit worried. I was a bit worried for Dorking. I really was, you know? And obviously they, they still want to pull themselves a bit further out of uh, out of the danger zone and the, the sort of dangerous area of looking over the shoulder. But considering where they were at the start to where they are now, I think it just shows, we, you were talking about belief uh, of, of a manager in the players. 
I know it's slightly differently because Mark White owns a football club. So, so it's slightly different. But it just shows, like, sometimes the, the, the man that started the whole sort of process is the correct man to get them out of the process, isn't it? So I guess... I guess Boreham Wood can kind of use the Dawkins situation at the minute as a bit of a bit of like what Luke was just saying that like maybe uh, Gerard is the right man to take them out because it, Mark White seems to be doing it with Dawkins now and slowly beginning to turn their season around as well. Yeah, I think. I think... Go on, sorry, Matt. Yeah, sorry. Right. I was just going to say I think Dawkins a really interesting one because they kind of came up very unknown in terms of them as a club unless you you know watch a bunch of amateurs. Um, you didn't really know who they were unless you'd seen it on Instagram or social media. Um, <clears throat> I think the first two seasons they had in the National League was touch and go in terms of relegation. Like, they were close both times. Yeah. I think, I mean, I'm looking at the table, they're 15th now. And they are six points, five points, sorry, off the relegation zone with, you know, a good few teams below them. Um, sorry about the flashing lights. Have <laughs> uh, the police you again? Oh, they're after me. Um, good few teams below them. Um, I think this season is where they maintain a mid-season finish and yeah. a mid-table finish, sorry. And then they'll grow off that. They seem to have built how to stay up. They've got that the foundations of staying up in the National League. And I think now they're building on that to, to make them climb up the table, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I think just just what I get from Dawkins um, and and from Mark White as a person, I know it's something we we talk about a lot and deservedly so from Dawkins' perspective that they deserve the airtime because of what they've achieved over the last well, not just last few seasons, but the last two decades or so. There, um, obviously, when they enter the division, the, the National League is a division like no other. When you think of divisions below in non-league, it's a massive, massive step up as we've seen with a lot of sides um, who've come up this season especially um, but obviously they managed to stay up last season and I think that was the main aim maybe this season the ambition was to maybe finish higher than last season I think that's probably the main aim now is for them to have a better finish than what they had last season of course there'll still be a few concerns about them being dragged into that relegation scrap but what I will say about Dawkins is whenever you're starting to feel fear the worst for Dawkins thinking they might get involved in this now they, they need you know they need to find some form they pick out a win when they need to and that doesn't matter who the opposition are for example Aldershot flying flying um, in the playoffs you wouldn't expect them to win that Dorking bang go and beat Aldershot at home then they have two defeats on the bounce 6-0 away and you're playing against a Bournemouth Wood side sorry who play a very different type of football and you manage to beat them for me, I don't think Dawkins have any issues. They seem to be picking results out when they need to. The only issue is they're not really gaining any any momentum. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, oh, sorry, go on. No, sorry. Carry on, because I think you. Uh, I was going to like round off the, the bottom half and go okay. to the top half. But if you got something to say, then carry on, yeah. No, no, I was just going to say, I think, um, I think in terms of momentum for Dawkins, I think they're a slow burner. I don't think they're going to like in Stockport in League Two. They've run like a thirteen-game winning streak. That's not that's not what Dorking yeah. are going to do. I think Dorking are a slow burn. Like they're fifteenth now. I can see them maybe finishing between twelfth and sixteenth come the end of the table. Yeah, it's they're a yeah. slow burning momentum building side. I think that's that's how I see them anyway. Yeah. So 
now then, I think from sort of the, the, the teams that we were talking about, maybe in, in relegation trouble and looking over the shoulders, should we go to the top half of the table and and speak about probably... Oh, it's hard, isn't it? Because I was going to say the upset of the of the se- probably season so far, but it's probably just because of the points deduction, I say Southend being an upset. But if the points deduction wasn't there for Southend, I'd fully expect them to give Chesterfield a goal with the squad that they've got anyway. So, you know what I mean? It's, it's a difficult one. But in terms of a title race, I think Southend beating Chesterfield 2-1 at home could be massive. What 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 do you boys think about this result? Yeah, no, I think it is massive. I think the uh, the points deduction is quite a, a red herring in my eyes. It's like, yes, they've got the points deduction, but they're not a team which should be where they are in the league. The points deduction yeah. hasn't... Obviously, it's hindered them in terms of where they're going to finish at the end, but it's not hindered them to the point where they've lost the squad. Like, they have the core squad who can do very, very well. Well, yeah, that's I mean, that, that starting eleven is is if we're being honest, I think it's top five starting elevens in the league comfortably. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it is. Um, and um, I just think I, I watched that game, uh, I, I like a little bit of the game in the highlights, and um, like Paul Cook said in his post match, he said he can't, he's not going to go in on his his players. He can't really say much other than. Well done to South End because South End literally went there with a game plan to stop Chesterfield playing football, smother them, and you know, like hit on the break and whatever. And and that that worked perfectly. That worked like a treat. And I think look, you don't have to worry if you're Chesterfield just yet, because you've pretty much had, you know. A pretty much unblemished season, if we're being honest. Apart from the odd result here and there, I think I think they will still go up as champions now. But but in the last few weeks, I feel like there has been a little bit more nerves in in Chesterfield's results and the way Chesterfield's have been playing. Um, so obviously, coming off the back of the Chesterfield game this weekend, we then had the uh, opportunity for Barnet to capitalise at home. Yes. Um, against Gateshead, which they didn't which do. Um, and this, it was funny. So at the FCAs on on um, Thursday, I was I was speaking to the guys that run the Bees pod. I don't know whether you've ever listened to it, but the lovely guys, like really good guys, and they were saying, um, Aaron, at, at home compared to being away from home, we are completely different. We are two completely different teams. He said we. They said we can't get it going at home no matter what because we play them on Wednesday night in front of the BT cameras coming um, on Wednesday night, and they they kept saying to me, they kept saying, "You're gonna do us on TV. You're gonna do us on TV." And I was like, "Absolutely not. We're gonna. You're gonna batter us." But now, now looking at that, looking at that Gateshead result, it gives me a bit of confidence to be honest, and it just shows that a team can be so different. At home, and then away from home, or vice versa, doesn't it really? Yeah, no, one hundred percent. And from what I've seen on the Gateshead game, which isn't loads really, I've just uh, you know, I've watched the the highlights and looked through the stats and whatnot, what the stats I can find. Um, but Gateshead were absolutely dominating. Like until mm-hmm. they scored, it seemed then Barnet woke up and realised, oh no, we're losing, and that's when they started coming. But like I've said, uh, well. Like I've got written down, 
<laughs> that you know, Gates said they could have been they could have been three 0 up comfortably by the time they were one 0 up because of it, really were, it, was, it was an absolute joke that they hadn't have scored. Pretty. I don't know if you've seen any of the highlights or vlogs that anyone's done, but I was watching uh, Dan Bell's match day vlog mm. of the game. Um, just because I thought, you know what, let's let's give it a watch. I want to see what's going on between the two teams. It was quite a big game, um, and I, I've never seen in a football match a side hit the woodwork that many many times. And it, it did kind of feel like, look, it's just not going to be uh, Gateshead stay here. Um, you know, they hit their bar, they hit the post. They must they must? I'm not even exaggerating. They must have hit the the woodwork about five times, um, and they were very unfortunate shots. It wasn't like just hitting the bars it went over um so for me when when i when i look at that game and i look at barnet and gates and i think gates have done a job on them and i think barnet you know having that defeat to chesterfield it's kind of hit them uh knowing that sides looks coming absolutely battered them and basically outclassed them in that second half they've then played against a gates side where they really did need to get back to winning ways and they haven't been able to do that. And now there's certainly a lot of pressure on them, especially coming up against a, an Oldham side that are starting to get a bit of form, I, w- I would say. Thank you, Luke. It's not like you to give us credit, so I appreciate that. <laughs> um, um, but I guess it just proves me wrong, doesn't it, really? Because uh, maybe three weeks ago on this very podcast, I said, oh, boys, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure whether Rob Elliott can translate the same football style that, um, that Mike Williamson did. And mm. to to my credit, in the first couple of weeks, I thought I was going to get proven right. But now I think he is doing an exceptional job. And like we were saying in the technical um, players in the league conversation before, some of the some of the footballers that they built in that Gateshead side are phenomenal for this level. And I think they're now reaping the rewards. And I let me see the angle. So let me see. So. I mean, so that the the gap between fifth to third is a little bit tighter than I thought it was actually. It, so it's only Gateshead are now only seven points behind. Um, hang on, sorry. No, so seven points sorry. behind Bromley. Yeah, third, yeah, seven points. Third to... Yeah, seven seven points behind Bromley, and Bromley are only three points behind. Uh, sorry. I can't do my maths. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, three points behind um, Barnet. So, look, I think if we're not careful, a lot of us have been have been susceptible to to say that you know the top two are sort of over with and done. I, I've, I've, to be honest, I do still think Chesterfield are over with and done. If you, if you're asking me to put my neck out and say that at the minute, I think they will just be too strong. But I think Barnet just needs to be careful that. The, the, just looking over the shoulders because I think all it is is complacency at the minute. And no, knowing us and knowing how we are normally, I reckon they'll get back to winning ways at the Hive on Wednesday in front of the BT cameras. But um, who knows? Who knows? Eh? Like, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But I think two two, two uh, losses off on the spin for Barnet is is quite worrying. But the quicker that they can put that to bed and and refocus, the better. Really. I, I agree with um, Chestfield winning the league. I, I don't think even after that defeat, I'm still not concerned that they're not going to go on to win the league because every side's going to have a stumble at some point in the season. And I remember thinking, look, if there's any side that's going to take anything off Chesterfield, it's going to be Southend at Roots Hall. You know, they had that incentive as well. Um, 
with the game probably should have been, well, it's, it's a debate that, that you could have about it potentially being postponed. Um, so, so for me, yeah, it wasn't a massive shock, I don't think, with Southend um, managing to defeat Chesterfield, in, in, in my opinion. And look, they've had that stumble, but I still think Chesterfield have gone to win the league from what I saw when, when I've seen them this season. Uh, Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now that was possibly my favorite sponsorship that's ever been played. So thank you to our sponsors for that sponsorship. Quality from you. Um. So where are we going to go? So you hang on. Where did you say you we you wanted to go now, Luke? Um. Well, I was saying it could be a good point speaking about Southend beating Chesterfield at home. Is it out of the question for Southend, or I'm going to maybe just ask for a direct answer? Do you think Southend? You know, we'll get promoted this season with Chesterfield, even though they've had a point deduction. Well, I'm obviously going to say no because I want Oldham to get in the playoffs and win the playoffs. So <laughs> you, you, you can't be biased. Look, I'm Halifax in the playoffs, but I still don't think we're going to get promoted. But um, from the the journalist side of me, I think I think it's kind of it's what movies are written about in it. You know what I mean? You you see that sort of South End squad and. I know you you pointed out in the in the group chat, um, Matt, before, didn't you? You've got quite a bold statement that you want to make on the back of Southend, I believe, and, and uh, Kevin Mayer, have you? Do you want to say it? Yes, oh, I, I was really worried then. I was thinking, Christ, what have I said? But no, I do remember what I said. That um, I think there's an argument that I, I saw this on social media. Uh, this isn't originally my take, but I'm getting on the bandwagon because I agree with it, is that Kevin Mayer is possibly doing the best job in English football at the moment with the team, not the team in terms of players, but the team in terms of quantity of players. Like, mm. how many did they name at Chesterfield? Was it 13 they named? Yeah, 13 players yeah. they named. Yeah. They've named 13 players against the league leaders Chesterfield, who have the likes of Will Grigg up top, who are currently, what, 23 points ahead of them in, in the table? And they've got, and they've beaten them. Kevin May is stuck by Southend during a point deduction and has seen them out of the relegation zone and they're now uh, five points clear of the relegation zone and I can guarantee that I'll only get wider as they pick up more results. I think it's a genuine shout to say Kevin May is doing one of the best jobs in English football with the resources that he has at the moment at Southend. I'd agree with you on that. I don't think 
thing is, it's hard to like compare with anyone because there's no one else in English football that's in that position. And the ones that have gone under bad ownership, those managers are doing very poor jobs um, at the moment. And some are saying that's part of the problem at, at certain clubs. Um, under bad management at the moment. But for me, I, I think I'd have to agree. I, I don't think he'd ever admit that. I don't think anyone else who's not got an interest in English uh, in the lower leagues of football would ever agree that. But I'd, I'd probably agree with you on that. I, I know it's hard to compare him and someone in the Premier League or someone with a big budget because a big budget, you know, they've still got to do the job and find a good squad. Uh, but I think, yeah, certainly, he certainly went up there and... Um, yeah, I think what he's had to go through and how he's kept the squad together and basically, you know, kept not just kept the squad together, but the players could have easily left and he's he's probably had some say on why they're still at the club. So for me, I think, yeah, he deserves a, a massive round of applause, in, in my opinion, for what, what he's done so far um, at Southend and long may it continue when, when he hopefully does get a bit of financial backing behind him. Let's see what he can do with that money. Yeah. There's got to be some sort of... I mean, I'm going to pull for it if not, but at the end of the season, I want to see some sort of football football psychology report done into South End because like, I think it's wonderful, isn't it? And it just shows, I think it's it's the same for everyone or most people. When your back's against a wall, you know what I mean? You come out fighting and you come out swinging and that's exactly what South End have done. And to the credit, they deserve every bit of it because it could have been so easy for... Uh, Kevin Mayer and the players to hide and just like, you know what, we give up. Like, we're expected to go down. We're expected to get this 10 points taken off us, whatever it is. You know, like, we'll take it. Like, we're going to hiding. But if anything, they've done the complete opposite. And even though I I would like to keep them well clear of uh, the playoffs, because I I do genuinely believe that Southend beat Oldham if, if we do get them in the playoffs. That's the only reason I want them clear of it. I do think they would, it would, round off one hell of a story and one hell of a season for Southend United. So, yeah. Yeah, no, Aaron, I agree with you. I think Southend, I think if they can carry on the way they have been, they will be playoff contenders. And in so, then they will be promotion contenders because I think them as a club, like as a team, are an incredibly strong team and could, well, they've beaten the league leaders and they could beat anybody else. Um, yeah. There was another topic I quite wanted to bring up in the. I mentioned it in the group chat earlier was about um, teams going up pre, almost prematurely, and I'm not saying that's yeah. happened um, recently because of how, you know, even since when we first came down, Sutton and Harrogate went up, and I know Sutton are doing brilliantly now, but they're they're still there, you know, three or four seasons on. Uh, Harrogate is still there. Um, nobody, I believe, has gone up and then just come straight back down. Um, so they haven't, but like for example, my example for this is Gateshead. Looking at Gateshead, the way they play, I think they're brilliant. I think their midfield is possibly the most well-rounded midfield in the league, in my eyes. Um, obviously, feel free to disagree with me or throw your hats into the ring with that one, but um, that's that's my thought. But I don't think they would settle into the League Two yet. I think they need another season at the top end of the National League before they go up, if they were to go up. Just what I'd say is, I think most sides who'd go up would survive because I think the lower end of League Two, not saying that it'd be that you'd see them at the best, and I agree with you on certain sentiments of, of that statement that you've just said, but um, I, I personally feel if any of the top probably 
I'd probably go down to 12, would survive in, in, in League Two if you just put them in, in that division now because the bottom end of League Two is so poor at the moment. And that is, of course, due to misownership because I think most sides who come down from League Two are under bad ownership, as it's that seems to be the current trend at the moment, or just very poor squads. Um, you know, you look at Sutton at the moment, they're just a, a very, very poor squad. Um, in my opinion, they've lost a few players um, when they've been founded out by bigger teams, and, and that's kind of what's happened there at the moment. Um, Colchester are in a bit of crisis at, at the moment as well themselves. Uh, Forest Green back to back could have back to back relegations if, if they go down. Um, but I understand what you're saying about maybe. Gate said if they wouldn't set the world alight in League Two, I don't, I couldn't, I think they would be down there um, because it's a massive step up and it's the first season where they're competing near the top of the table. Solihull, I don't think they'd do anything in League Two. I don't think they've got the quality, enough quality in the squad in League Two for me. Um, and I think maybe this season, in particular, there's a lot, it's more where there's only one side for me that would set the world alight in League Two, and that'd be Chesterfield. Yeah. In the last couple of seasons, you had Knotts, Wrexham, Chesterfield, Grimsby, Halifax, when you had Billy Waters and, and players like that, um, you know, Stockport. Basically, every side in the top seven, you just thought, yeah, they'd, they'd go up and they'd do well in, in League Two, where now, I would say the league's getting weakened at the top end of the table. That, that's something I'd agree with, with a lot of big clubs um, leaving the division. The thing is, though, I, I think I said, it, I said it to you earlier today, and then I, I said... I know what you're saying about the 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 teams like Wrexham not scouting and that doing well in League Two, but I think people forget that that like four teams to be able to do back to back promotions or whatever it'll be or or thrive in a higher division. Quite a lot of it comes down to like uh, stability and infrastructure off the pitch, and yes. you know. So I, I know Wrexham got millions pumped into them, so they were always gonna you know they were always gonna achieve. In, in League Two and whatever, but like I, I think that the argument for infrastructure is probably a bigger argument for the just pure football inside of things, to be honest. And this is where I will bring my boys in into it again a little bit. I, I do, and again, I might have uh, a blue, blue and white glasses on, but I do genuinely, if we did manage to get out this division this year, we would stay up comfortably, but that's only because. We've now got a guy that's put millions and millions of pounds in the football club and cleared all our debts. So basically, we're, we, we've got fresh foundations to build upon. And I don't think you can underestimate the importance of a of a fresh infrastructure and good foundations for further success. Just what um, I'd say, just on those, those sides who, you know, you talk about infrastructure there. What I would say is if, if Gates have got promoted, they, they have one identity and if they get found out in League Two, they're kind of stuck because they don't have the budget to change it up. Where mm. Notts County, I think for me, I think they were a lot better side than what Gates said were last this season. Um, no disrespect to Gates said this season, I just think they were just Notts County last season were just, as you're aware, Matt, were just, and this season to be we're all right, weren't we? Yeah, yeah, just a brilliant side, and they play a very similar way to Gateshead. Not particularly fast flowing, but more ticky tacky. Um, you know, quite yeah, slow, slow build up. Yeah, slow build up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, keeping the ball off the opposition. It's how Notts County have played for a number of years, and it's it's what they want to do. But if let's say something went wrong at Notts County, 
I'm, I'm not saying that they have loads of money, but they, they have the ability to bring in players. For example, if Gates had got promoted, they won't bring in someone like McGoldrick when they got promoted, where Notts County you know, have the potential to, well, well, prove that they can bring in players like that. Same with Crowley, who came in. But also, Solios and Bromleys, they kind of would have to rely on the squad that would get them out of this league. They won't really personally, players. I get what you're saying, but I do think McGoldrick is a bit of an outlier in the sense of, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but how old is he? 30, 38? And he obviously started at Notts County, didn't he? So it's kind of like it's kind of like a homecoming, isn't it? So you know what I mean? I, I think he's still I've, got into did he score like 20 top goal scoring League One and he's dropped down a division. So yeah, I get what you're saying, but I still think that there's clearly something about Notts County that's attracted him there where I don't think yeah. Gates said it, it would, to be fair. I'm not saying if if it was like he supported Gates, I'd only were younger. Yeah, no, I think I think you've got a point. I don't think McGoldrick's the example to use just because it's his boyhood club. He um, dropped down to us. He's 35 and he came to us because, well, one of the reasons was he wants to go into coaching afterwards. And mm-hmm. I, I assume, like this, obviously this isn't um, insider information or anything of the sort, but I assume... Knotts will give him that sort of pathway to go into coaching after his contract expires. That's what I assume from what has been said before. So I think that's a bit of an outlier, but an example I think you could use, which would be would be nice and accurate, would be like uh, Jody Jones joining. Yeah. Uh, he was on loan at us for last season, um, for the second half of last season, absolutely unbelievable um, in the National League. And he's, if anything, got better in League Two. But yeah, even though it's not big money being thrown around because they've both come on a free, it's it's big names and big quality which has come to us, which um, which I think, like you've said, Aaron, about the infrastructure, we have a clear plan of how we want to play, how we like to play. Uh, that doesn't change under management, like it was shown under Ian Birchnell, then he went to Forest Green and it's now been shown under Luke Williams. And if Luke, Luke Williams would have gone on to Oxford, who he was rumoured to go to, and that um, came out to be nonsense, Whoever they got in next would carry on the same, the yeah. same, the same. Uh... After a while, it's. I think, like I said, infrastructure, and, but also it's football in DNA, isn't it? Yes. You know what I mean? Because once, once, once one person buys into something in the building, quickly it will spread, and everyone believes into that philosophy in the building. You know, so exactly. Um, yeah, I think well. I think Knots are incredible. I think Wrexham are incredible as well, to be fair. And it, it's quite easy to say, isn't it? Oh, yeah, they both got money, so they're both going to do well. But, like, this is where I I, I I fought the corner for Wrexham a little bit last year, and I do it a little bit this year. Yes, Ryan Reynolds came in. Yes, Ryan Reynolds is, is worth, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of millions of pounds, whatever it is. But the fact that... the, the these owners are doing things the right. They're doing things the right way. You know what I mean? They, Ryan Reynolds uh, could have quite easily come in and be like, "I'm going to play football manager with it." You know what I mean? And just start signing like yeah. absolutely ridiculous players for ridiculous money. But the the buy into the community, they, and that comes down to infrastructure as well. You know, doing things for the community, doing things for the surrounding areas. That all comes with time and building up, sort of infrastructure and uh, and foundations as well so yeah i think it's i think it's a really sort of interesting topic and debate yeah no and i'm, I'm glad we've kind of spoken about it and uh, also top end of the table 
Um, you know, with Chesterfield losing, Barnet losing, that freed up a bit of space for Solihull Moors, who then lost as well. Uh, <laughs> it's to, always the way that, isn't it? Always the way. You'll see it across across the division where well, the top team will lose and then you're thinking, oh, the, the next two or three teams can capitalise here. And then it's almost like they feel the, the pressure even yeah. more, isn't it? And they, they'll just crumble themselves. <laughs> exactly. And they've lost to Maidenhead, who aren't the biggest club in the in the league but they've I'm just looking they've won the last three on the bounce they've won which is quite an impressive return um and they've lost at home to Maidenhead what what do we what do we think of that again is it uh, is it just complacency do you think um like is it Maidenhead are known to be like the giant killers to be fair in this division they have been for a number of years um and to be fair um they just beaten Easley and Halifax. Um, yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't a major shock. I still expected Solihull to win that game, but to be fair to um, Solihull, you know they've not been on the best of form themselves. Three defeats in six, and those all those defeats have been the only defeats that they've had this season. Um, and you know, Maidenhead play a very anti-industrial side of, of football. Um, so for me, it wasn't a major shock, and Maidenhead are known to go to places you know, the better teams in the division and pick out results there just because of the way they play. They, they frustrate the, the better football inside in the division and then just catch them out. Um, so, yeah, it wasn't a major, but I, I don't think as a Solihull fan, I'd say, oh God, we, we're, we're, you know, in danger here of losing that position. Um, I no. just say it's an off week. We Every other game's a, a different game and, you know, we're not going to be coming against Maiden and every single week. Yeah, no, I just, I just found it a bit. When I was looking through the results um, for this, I, I, that one took me by surprise, just because in my head, Solihull were doing really well, and they are still doing really well. They're fourth, um, uh, they're ten points off top, only five points off second. So that kind of shows how, how well Chesterfield are doing as well. Um, but they are a side who, who, I mean, weren't they top two fighting it with Chesterfield at the start of the season? First, yeah, they were beaten for like. Three, two, three months, something, something yeah. like that. So yeah, they were going very strong. To be fair, yeah, no, and that's absolutely fantastic. It, did, it took me a little bit by surprise, and yeah, the, we're looking three of the top four uh, lost this week. And yeah, like you said, it's almost like they feel the pressure, isn't it, Aaron? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Just moving on a little bit, I just think it's quite uh, ironic, and I'm going to talk about it in in his absence. So we normally do this podcast with Grant. Anyone yes. that knows Grant knows he's a massive Hartlepool United fan. But for the for the last couple of weeks, every time we've come on, he's had a rant about Hartlepool United and how shit they are. Well they, this 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 week <laughs> this week they've finally pulled it out of the fire. And Grant maybe maybe that's a sign. Maybe you need to stay off the podcast mate. Um so um I'm just gonna touch upon that and, and see what you guys think about that. But to start with it's it's that man again. It's Jake Hasty again. I mean, I don't know whether you guys saw, but we put a we put a stat out last week about Jake Hasty. I think it was I can't I, I can't remember the stat on our Twitter without going back and looking at it. But basically, it was a stat that was like putting a lot of uh, praise onto Jake Hasty, and he he seems to be sort of taking that Hartlepool side now by by the scruff of his neck on his own, and sort of carrying them on the back a little bit, and. In terms of Hartlepool, I think obviously they were winless in four before Saturday, um, but but that is a big win. But we we were talking, Luke. I don't know if you remember, we were talking about 
York and again the money that they've put in. But it just seems to be going from bad to worse every week for York at the minute, doesn't it? Um, so what are your thoughts on this particular fixture? And uh, and can we can we uh, tell Grant that it wasn't just a one-off and there is there is positive sh- shoots of recovery for Hartlepool, or do we just think it might have been an off result? What what do we think they crack it? Well, just firstly, um, a good day for Hartlepool as, as they took such a large following, and it's always brilliant, isn't it, when you take a large following to an away game and you turn up. You know, so often it's the, those type of games where you take a big following, it's all built up, and then you get to kick off when you think it can't get any better. Well, it well it certainly did did for Hartlepool. Um, from York's perspective, they certainly are struggling and. Maybe it takes something away from Hartlepool. Um, you still got to go to get there and get all three points, which they did, and they needed to find that win because they've been struggling as of late. Um, I'd like to think now Hartlepool are going to gain a bit of momentum, go on a bit of a winning streak because they need to if they're wanting to find a way back into those playoff spots this season. Um, I don't think that's a realistic aim at the moment, the amount of injuries they've got, but I know from the fan base. It's something that they at least demanded at, at the start of the season was, was a playoff finish. Um, but from York's perspective, you know, all that money splashed it into the club. And there's a way you, you mentioned Wrexham there and how they got it spot on with their recruitment. Um, they didn't just splash the cash. This is where York uh, may be going wrong, I personally feel, is the fact that it does feel like they're just splashing cash on on any player, to be honest. Um, I, don't, I don't know what you, your guys' thoughts are on that. Well, when I put out like some pre-season predictions um, beforehand, also, I'd just like to mention that whilst we're recording the England are playing and they're currently yeah, losing to North Macedonia, <laughs> we've put out a very strong sign and we're losing to North Macedonia. Um, mm. I, can, I can go back to my point now, but I just wanted to make <laughs> that clear. Yeah. Oh, and he's bad. That York, I predicted them at the start of the season to be really up there in terms of playoffs. Um, like possibly even in contention to go up. I don't, I think Neil Ardley is great. Genuinely, I think he's a brilliant manager. I think he did really well at Solihull. I think he steadied the ship at Notts, got us to the playoff final, and um, the team didn't turn up. I have so much respect for him as a manager and think he's a very good manager and he's the man to lead York forward. But the signings seem like owners' signings. They've seen big names and who did well last season and they've gone, right, we'll get him, him and him. Um, and I don't think that works, like you mentioned before. Like it's been said, the Wrexham um recruitment is something to go off, and they haven't done that in that way. I think York, um, a team that if they start picking up results and start to gel as a side, they could be really, really good and quite quite like a, a heavy hitting force going forward for the playoffs. But at the moment. They need to figure out almost what they're like, who they actually are as a side. Yeah, that's that an identity, do they? About exactly. them, yes. Yeah. That's I was trying to think of the word there. Yeah. Right? So, thank you, Aaron. What's, what's your thoughts then on York? Then, I mean, I'll be honest, I thought, like Matt just said, I thought, especially players like Tyler, uh, Tyler Cordner. When he came, I thought, Jesus, that's one of the signings, you know, one of the signings of the season, that. And he just doesn't look the same player. And I, it's probably it's probably a confidence thing, isn't it? When, when you are struggling, a confidence will, will play a massive part. But like you say, I think they took a massive gamble at York. 
And at the minute, I don't know if it's working. But the, the one thing you would say is for any of these teams that we're talking about in a bit of a negative light and any of the teams we're even talking about in a positive light, we're still on the, the early side of Christmas. You know what I mean? So there's still a lot of football to be played. So no, I don't think anybody can really write anyone off really in in both sets of the table, uh, ends of the table just quite yet. So, yeah. No, I don't think it's a case of writing anybody off, but uh, I think with the amount of money that York have put in and the amount of players and high quality players they've brought in, you'd expect the results to come quicker. In my, yeah. in, that's how I see it. Um, I think we're, we're kind of nearing the end. Is there is there any other games specifically you want to well, have a look into? It's not like me to be speaking up for Rochdale, but I feel like it is worth a mention. Okay. Um, yeah. Just sure, because yeah. I, I know... So I live in Rochdale, unfortunately, for my sins. Yes, you heard that <laughs> right. So I, support, I support Oldham Athletic. I was born in Bury and I live in Rochdale. So I've got all three going on. Um, but so I, I've got quite a lot of friends that are Rochdale fans and a lot of them either wanted or still want McNulty out. Um, but I, I think the the performance on um, Saturday at home to Aldershot just proves sometimes that they have got it in them to get to get themselves. I was going to say where they need to be, but I, I think the problem you've got with Ro- Rochdale at the minute is I don't I don't think anyone in the football club or the fan base really know what their expectation for this season should be. Because I don't think they're strong enough to even chase that. To go any, anywhere near the relegation zone. So I think it is just a, a standard consolidation season for them. But I think it was, it's just interesting because it's, it was a complete juxtaposition performance for Rochdale than what they're normally used to. So normally Rochdale go ahead and then they'll concede goals and either draw a game or lose a game. But this weekend they were losing, and they so they came back from one nil one nil down to uh, to win two one. Um, and uh, Mitchell Mitchell scored quite a nice goal to win it. Cairo Mitchell. Yes, um, And I just wonder, I just wonder whether this is the sort of result that kind of restores a bit of the sort of firepower. Uh, sorry, yeah, the firepower in the bellies of. Of Rochdale and, and maybe gives them a bit more sort of self belief that they can they can cause a bit of damage in this division. Um, they can so, yeah. struggle for consistency, don't they, Rochdale? Yeah. Um, and obviously they score an awful amount of goals. I think it's like fourteen goals in, in the last six games, and every single game they've scored two plus goals. Um, so you know you can bet your house on them scoring a number of goals in, in the next game anyway. Um, and you know playing against a side like Aldershot who are on form. And especially, like you mentioned, to come from 1-0 down shows a lot about the character in the squad, especially with the injuries that they've had. And they yeah. have got some very talented players. I've always thought Cairo Mitchell is a decent player. I just think he's he struggled, especially at Notts County, because of how competitive it is, not just at Notts County, but in those areas where he plays. And now you know he's been given that uh, chance at, at Rochdale, where he's been given a number of games. And I think he's impressed uh, the Dale fans, to be fair. And you know, it's not just him. You've got lots of Sinclair, Rodney as well. I know they've had their injuries, but their players going forward. It's just a shame that if they if they could tighten up defensively, I'd I'd expect them to be proper competing, not just for the playoffs, but probably for the top three. Um, and I think the playoffs is a, is a realistic aim, especially if they invest in in January. That that's my thoughts. I think. I mean, 
look, everyone on this podcast is entitled to the opinions, and people will be saying, oh, you're just saying that because you're an Oldham fan, but genuinely... We hate you... I've got I've got nothing positive to say about them apart from genuinely, that. Genuinely, I don't think you'll ask an, another Rochdale fan that would expect them to, if you know, to be anywhere near in and around the top three of the division. I don't think they've got that sort of... I don't know. I don't, I don't I'd know. Say, no, I'd just say the squad... I think the squad has... If, if they added more defensively, because you look at the girls are scoring, they are girls wise, they are, I think, capable of that, especially yeah. recently. It's just the one, the, one thing, the one thing I wanted to say though is I think, um, Kian Hayes is a, a top, top quality, uh, player for Rochdale, obviously. I'm on, I think, is it from let me just make sure I get this right. I want to say Fleetwood, but I'm not too sure. Um, yeah, he's come in and he looks dynamite, to be honest, uh, in the midfield for them. And I think it 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 changes the balance of their midfield as well because previously you've had, obviously, Adam Clayton, uh, uh, Ryan East, who, 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 again, is starting to find his feet now and do well. Um, but he, Kean Hayes, yeah, on loan from Fleetwood, he looks a proper, proper player to me. Um, yeah. And, Sorry, I was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't have loads more to add, to be honest. On Rock, I don't know a lot about them. Being totally honest, like I know a bit about Cairo Mitchell. That's only because of his stint at Knotts. Don't, don't worry, not not a lot of people know a lot about Rochdale. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and like you said, it was very competitive places, and I think now he has got a good a good string of games under his belt, and he's getting you know chance to start pretty much every day every game. I think he kind of has that opportunity to, to prove himself. And I think that's what's what he needed as a player, and that's and that focal striker is kind of what Rochdale needed. There's a lot of fans grateful for the fact that they have him, which um, hasn't been well. Knotts fans couldn't say the same. I don't think Chesterfield fans could either. When before he came to us, because in the nicest way he didn't do a lot, um, but then didn't really get the chance to do a lot. So it kind of goes both ways. Um, do you boys tend to look at the team of the week for the national league at all? So, I mean. I will look at it now. You told me to look at it because I didn't. I didn't want. I didn't want to. I didn't want to boast about it. But James Norwood has found himself in there. Um, so yeah, we can we can touch on that. But normally, what we do to end the podcast is we look at the. So so this week it'll be the midweek games, and we we all we pick out a game each that we think might be the tastiest game on the on the schedule, and, and say why. That's what we normally do. Um, oh, but we can look at the team of the week if you want. Um, but. Uh, yeah, so um, if we're going to do that then, so looking ahead to the midweek fixtures now. Yeah, tomorrow. So, yeah, so obviously there's a full programme tomorrow and then we're on our own away to Barnet at 8 o'clock on Wednesday because it's the TNT game. But yeah. as, as for tomorrow, I think the game that probably piques my interest the most if I'm being honest well it's two and I can't believe I'm going to say this but to give them a bit more credit I know I must be feeling mm-hmm. it under the weather what's going on here but Altrincham versus sorry Rochdale versus Altrincham um, intrigues me a little bit because I, I, to, to the credit I think they both play quite nice football and that should be an interesting game but then obviously you've got the the sort of bigger one with uh, Solihull versus Gateshead as well that's that's going to be a big game with with important uh, implications for the top of the division. So yeah, they would be my two picks. What about you, Matt? 
I think, uh, well, you've touched on it. My pick would be Solihull Gateshead. I think both teams are in, well, we know Solihull aren't in the greatest of form recently. However, they're up there. Fourth versus fifth. Both, te- both teams need the win, really. If Gateshead win, they go level on points. We've still got a game in hand. Um, so they'll be going into it. I, I, I would say needing the win more, but then going to Solihull is never going to be an easy place to go to and get a result. I think it that that would be the one I'd be most excited to watch the neutral. Luke? Um, for me, I'd, I'd like to go different and maybe it's, it's not my favourite side that's at the top of the league, but I think Chesterfield will be working and, yeah, working are certainly struggling and most people would just expect Chesterfield to go there and win. But I always think working's a difficult place to go. I think a lot of sides, even this season overall, have struggled going there. Um, of course, as of late, working aren't on the best of form, but I still think it's a tough place to go. Um, and Chesterfield, obviously, coming into this game after the first defeat in an age. And I don't think going away is the type of game you want to go to again after you've just lost to South End especially mm. down you know, down south as well. You know, you'd be wanting a home game and it is a bit of an awkward place for Chesterfield to go. I know I know in the past, um, I do believe, you know, working, well, Chesterfield have struggled struggled there, um, apart from last season. But overall, you know, it's been a difficult place for Chesterfield for me. So certainly that game, um, I think Barnet Oldham, I know that's Wednesday, but it's a game for me that I'm very intrigued because Oldham have got that win now. Um, and they've been on decent form, and Barnet are kind of having a bit of a rough patch at the moment. So I think that's an interesting game as well. But yeah, they they would be mine to be honest. And of course, my own game just because it's it's Halifax, isn't it? Because it's Halifax. Yeah. Um, Matt, considering you're a newbie, and this is just something that I, I just want to uh, apply a little bit of internal pressure on you. Oh and uh, you, uh, I, I believe you want to stay in my good books, but this is a <laughs> this is a. This is a, a debate that had been raging since the start of the season. As an Ox County fan, you can pick yep. one to lose your line. Are you picking Will Brigg or are you picking James Norwood? Oh. Mm. Can I pick Langstaff still? <laughs> yeah, so partner with Langstaff, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I wouldn't take either of them over McGoldrick. Wow. They're all you know similar, really... they're similar to Langstaff, aren't they? Will Grigg and Norwood. Quite similar kind of strikers, if, if that makes I think, sense. I think Grigg is similar to Langstaff. Norwood is more similar to McGoldrick. That's how I see them. I'll be I honest. I'll be, again, I'm I'm biased and I don't I don't really care at this point. We're at the end of the podcast, so um <laughs> I think James Norwood do things on Saturday that I don't think Will Grigg's legs would let him do. If I'm being honest, um, like there was there was one moment, so there was five added on, and we were we we had, we had a free kick on the edge of our own box, and James Norwood literally took the ball round ran down the wing, nutmeg two players on the spin, so, so he put put it through one legs, put it through another legs, and went and won the corner down at the other end, and I I just think they're the type like to be fair to him, I think that comes with experiencing it, and it just shows the value of experience in this division. But I, he's fastly becoming one of the, my favourite ever Oldham strikers, even this early. Because I, I knew he was going to be good for us, but it's, it's his off-the-ball and sort of link-up player that really impresses me more than his like, natural like, instinct for goals, you yeah. know? 
I'd just take uh, any of them. I'll have long stuff, uh, my gold, <laughs> Rick Greg. I'm uh, sure no. you would. Yeah, I'd have any <laughs> of them. <laughs> But um, I'd just like to say as well before we uh before we tie up, I think for your first National League podcast, Matt, especially jumping straight into the host hot seat, I think you did a a great job. So thank you for joining well, us. Well, and, thank um, you very much. The pleasure to be. Yeah, here. we uh we hope we've we've done a good enough job to uh, <laughs> aid you along the way. Um, so that that's it for another episode of the National League podcast, brought to you by National League Look. Um, if you've enjoyed today's podcast or want to listen back to any of our other podcasts, check us out where you uh, listen to your podcast, whether that be Spotify or, or Apple Music. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on Apple Music as well while you've been there. But I've been Aaron. I've been Luke. And I've been Matt. Thank you very much. And we'll see you next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.